You're listening to the Kindling Rhythms podcast by Restore Houston Church. In John chapter 21, Jesus built a kindling fire for his friend Peter, who was at a low place in his life. His shame and failures were defining everything for him. But Jesus will not let shame and failure have the last word in Peter's life. And in an act of love, Jesus built a kindling fire to serve as a meeting place between himself and Peter. A broken Peter meets with Jesus around this fire, and Jesus gently restores Peter, showing him love, giving him grace, and empowering him to live the life that Jesus had called him to. In this beautiful moment, the whole direction of Peter's life changes. Kindling Rhythm strives to follow in the tradition of that same kindling fire that Jesus built for Peter. By creating a meeting space where your shame and failure give way to the love of Jesus. Where grace restores even the most broken parts of your life and you can find rest knowing that he deeply cares for you. May you also, just like Peter, find him in this space. Hey, and welcome to the very first uh, Kindling Rhythms podcast on the book of Leviticus. So as a church, as Restore Houston, we just started a new series called God Has You Covered. And we are going to be trying to unpack the book of Leviticus, um, but we're not going to be unpacking it just for the sake of understanding Leviticus. We're going to do it for the sake of understanding who God is and his heart for us and how much he loves and cares for us, Um, which may at first feel like Leviticus is a strange way to do that. Um, And I admit, like, Leviticus can feel very, very foreign. It can feel very, very um, just, like, out of another world. And um, so as as best as we can, there's a couple of things I want us to keep in mind. One, not to focus on what it is that the, like, the rules are specifically asking the followers of God to do in that context, right? So occasionally, not occasionally, I think actually relatively often, um, Christians can take certain laws in Leviticus and apply them and they say, well, this law is a good one. We should follow this one. Uh, and I think when we do that, when we cherry pick uh, certain laws and customs and rituals out of Leviticus and say, these are still relevant for Christians to follow now, um, we do a great injustice to the original author's intent of Leviticus. Um, so Leviticus was not written as some sort of guide beyond that context that it was written for. Um, and so like an example would be often there's a portion of Leviticus where it talks about not getting markings on your bodies or tattoos. Uh, and some Christians have said, led this, led that, that has led some Christians to say, well, Christians shouldn't get tattoos, which is not at all the point of that particular point in the passage. Um, so Leviticus, God is saying, don't get tattoos because he's trying to call these, this group of people out from the brokenness and the chaos and the death, uh, and the fallenness and the sin around them. And he asks them not to get tattoos because in a lot of the other ancient cultures practice, particularly the Canaanites, um, part of summoning the gods or manipulating the gods or talking to the gods um, involved you giving yourself markings on your bodies, including self-mutilation. And God doesn't want them to partake in any part of that. Um, Right, like he has a totally different, much more beautiful, much less painful way Um, to experience his presence that doesn't involve marking and mutilating and cutting your body. Um, And so as best as we can, I want us to move away from trying to pick out like, well, is this something Christians should still do or not do as we move through the book of Leviticus and instead focus on 
Um, <laughs> there's an ice cream truck outside my house right now. Um, he drives by every day at this time, and I did not even think about it. It's, there's a school across the street. So um, if you heard that, sorry. But um, as best as we can not to do that. Um, the second thing I want to encourage us to, to do, so one I want to encourage us not to do, the second thing I want to encourage us to do is try to put ourselves in the place of an ancient Israelite living in a very ancient world. Um, so it's very easy for us to, to say, like, this is barbaric. Like, why would God ever ask anyone to do anything like some of this stuff? And the truth is, um, the things that God was asking them to do were incredibly life-giving and um, would have really looked odd given the culture around them, right? So, like, the self-mutilation is a great example. Um, so for God to say, I'm drawing near to you this way, you don't have to cut yourself, um, would have really, to them, been a testament of how much God loves them and cares for them. And so you're like, well, why didn't God just show up and, and tell them everything like we see Jesus doing? Well, one, I'm not God and I can't quite answer that question. Uh, but two, I can say if you, God often works with um, our understanding of him based on where we are. And that's true for all of us, whether we've, whether it's me uh, who spends anywhere from 10 to 15 hours or more a week reading theology or some of you who've never hardly opened your Bible. We all understand God in certain ways. And I think God meets us there in our understandings. And I think that's absolutely what's happening in the book of Leviticus is because God's taking a lot of the customs and things around and the cultures around him. Some he's telling them not to do, like don't mark or mutilate yourselves. And other things like these rituals and these sacrifices, he's flipping on their heads and giving them entirely different meanings. Uh, and so what I mean by that, like for example, in, in, in Leviticus, none of the sacrifices made, and we have to read this very carefully to realize this, or to um, placate God's wrath in some way. So that's very that was very common in the cultures around them. The gods were angry. And so what you had to do is you had to offer them blood in order to um, keep them from getting too angry with you and starving you or destroying you or that kind of thing. Um, right? Like that's, that's what paganism was. It was like going to the volcano and throwing your kid into the volcano um, in order to um, appease the gods who were in the volcano. Um, that's something God actually does not want his people doing. And he even addresses that. Don't sacrifice your kids. Um, children are precious. Do not kill them, um, which is something all of the cultures around them were doing. And so just putting yourself in that place of God has to explain that, like God's talking to a group of people who he has to explain to them, don't sacrifice your children. Like don't put them on altars and cut them open. Right? Like I know that's really vivid and graphic and um, I'm just going to stop that analogy there. But the point, like, th that was pretty common for them. And so for God to come in and set rituals up this way, I think would have been a very stark contrast to even the culture they were living in, and it would have told them some very unique things about God. Um, and that's what we're looking for, is what are the things that um, Leviticus was telling people then about God, because those things are still relevant to us today. And so the first thing um, that Leviticus tells us, and um, we talked about this a little bit in, in the sermon, was this idea of offering and present. Um, both come from the Hebrew, the same, the same root, Hebrew root. Um, and so we get immediately this idea that God is extending an invitation for us to draw near to him. 
so the example I, I gave, um, sorry, I'm pulling it back up here on my computer, um, is when he says in verse 2, uh, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you present or draw near an animal as an offering, right, which is another, which again, it's coming from the root from draw near, um, you may take it from your herd of cattle or flocks, or another way to say that is you may uh, bring it or draw it near from your herds of cattle and flock uh, of sheep and goats, or the word, like the New Living Translation, I didn't like how they did that a time, and the text we were in the day, but those sheep and goats could also be said as an offering again. So you see this word drawing near um, four times in the second verse. Uh, and so God is essentially very, like, right, right off the bat, sort of saying, like, all of this is about me drawing near to you. Um, and so, and you getting the invitation to draw near to me, um, which would have also felt very foreign in their, in their world. Um, and so, y you're going to see some concepts that are introduced that will help us understand the entire rest of the Bible. Uh, but more importantly, and most importantly, it'll help us understand who God is and his heart for us. Um, and so you're going to see this idea that blood can lead to life, um, something that we'll see later developed by Christians and what happened in the blood of Jesus that was shed for us. Um, you're going to see this idea of substitution, um, where you can lay the hand, your hands on this animal and essentially this animal becomes you. Uh, and when the animal is sacrificed and the blood is presented to God, it's presented as life, the life of that animal. And so in a very real way, it's saying um, while the rest of the animal is killed, um, the, the life of the animal is preserved and brought into the presence of God. And that's very much the way that we think of ourselves as Christians. Um, we had an old way of doing things, a selfish way, um, a destructive way, a self-preserving way. And when we begin to follow Jesus, that part of us is killed off. Like that part of us dies. Uh, and um, the part of us that then our lives are brought into the presence of God and the part of our lives that we're always meant to be the way God intended in them to be. Very much like the blood is brought into uh, or towards or near the presence of God in the tabernacle. So um, there's a lot to, to, to wrestle with. <laughs> today in your meeting houses. Um, I just, again, want to validate, if you feel totally intimidated by this, no answer is a stupid answer. Even when you read scholars, like some of them say things, you're like, how did you, how did you get there? Um, right? Like they're just, Leviticus is, is a challenging book. And I think we'll do ourselves a disservice by being apprehensive or afraid of trying to understand or wrestle with a concept. Um, because what I, this is my experience with Leviticus. So I, I love Leviticus, and I know for some of y'all, you're like, weirdo. Like, why would you love this book? Um, well, I didn't always used to love it. Like, I, just like so many people, I, I didn't like it. It felt very barbaric. It felt very foreign. But as I began to really, really um, peel back the different layers um, and try to bridge some of that cultural gap um, between us in the 21st century and the ancient Israelites living in the ancient Near East, um, what I began to see is that God is being incredibly gracious to them. And so I, I love the way one theologian put it is like Leviticus is basically a reader on God's grace. Um, we're going to see things like God wants to be near his children. He's ready to set them right. Um, he's, 
rather than ask them to mutilate their bodies or sacrifice their children in order to appease his wrath, um, he's going to he's going to say, "I'm going to cover um, your deficiencies in order to be with you," um, which is which is an entirely new concept in the ancient world. Um, so. Buckle up, strap yourselves in, but then also give yourself some grace tonight. So no stupid answer is no answer is a stupid answer. Um, and for those of us who have studied it before, it also would encourage us to take a posture of humility. And it's easy to be like, oh, this is exactly what this means. And so many that gets done so many times in Leviticus, and it's it's a terrible interpretation of Leviticus, right? So. Um, I gave the one example of the one where people say Christians can't get tattooed and I'm not, I don't have any tattoos. So it's not like I have some personal reason to, to disagree with that verse. Um, but I'm just like, that's a terrible interpretation of that verse and why it was written and what we're supposed to take away from that. So, um, as much as we can, let's try to wrestle through, um, what's happening in Leviticus. And as always, if you've got questions, please reach out to me, email me, send me a text. I would gladly make some time to Zoom, FaceTime, or have a socially distanced coffee meeting outside or something with you um, to talk more about it. Hey guys, it's Indy and Justin. Say hi. Say hello. Can you say hi? Indy wanted to let you guys know uh, that this Sunday we are going to start our very first online learning cohort. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it's going to be led by our teaching and research intern, Phil Caselli. Uh, so I absolutely think it'll be worth your time. It's short, just three weeks long, uh, but will really help us understand what are all the different pieces of scripture, like Leviticus, uh, doing in our Bible? Like, how do we approach it? Uh, but most importantly, um, if not supremely importantly, how do we see God uh, in the pages of the Bible. And so anyway, I think it can be worth your time. My wife and I are both excited and planning on being there. Uh, you can go to RestoreHouston.com to sign up. We'll see you then. Bye.